0: Please turn to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. We're going to start with verse 6 in just a moment. But as we do that, I just want to echo Al's words this morning and say a happy Mother's Day with great respect and affection for each of you moms who are out there this morning. And I have to say a special Happy Mother's Day to the mom of our household, my wonderful Cindy, mother of five. And she is, simply put, the hardest working person I know. And hon, I just want to say, your labor is not in vain. And that is true for each and every one of the mothers here this morning as well. And I also need to say, Happy Mother's Day to my mom what a joy. She is with us every Sunday at Palm Vista. A mom, the last 44 years. Am I 44, mom? Is that, is that accurate? I think I am. It never sounds right. <laughs> oh, I love you, mom. And if you want to know what faithful mothering looks like, I would ask that you would listen to the last Bible 45 class on parenting. It's called Parenting and Prayer, and it's largely a tribute to my mom and her parenting over these many years. So thank you, Mom. Uh, well, let us get into our text this morning. Thank you, each and every one of you. Well, the title of my message this morning is The Macedonian Call, Two No's and a Go. It comes from Acts 16, verses 6 through 10. Let me read now the Word of God to us. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So, passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas... And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Let's pray. Well, Lord, thank you for your holy, inspired, God-breathed word, which you have preserved and chosen for us this morning. Lord, I ask that you would instruct us now, that you would teach us now, and that you would lead us now through your word. Through this passage, through this sermon, I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, one of the many things that I have learned in life is this. Life is full of reroutes or detours. And I don't know about you, but I find detours, especially road detours, especially annoying. There are many reasons why, but let me give you at least two that I can think of. Number one, detours usually take longer than the original planned route. And I'll just be honest, I feel like at this juncture in my life, I don't have a lot of time and space and margin for detours, okay? God's working on me in that area, but it often does annoy me. The second reason is that detours... Well, they're seldom clearly marked. And if they are marked, I'll be honest, they really usually don't make a lot of sense to me as I follow them. Well, for example, several weeks ago, I left the house at 5.40 a.m. to get to an appointment at 6 a.m. up in Miramar. Now, usually when I leave that time in the morning, there's little traffic and really few surprises on the road. But as I got to the on ramp of I-75 to go northward into Miramar, they were repaving the on ramp. And it was closed. I wasn't happy, but I wanted to get to my appointment at 6 a.m. So I dutifully followed the detour signs. Next thing you know, I'm on I seventy five, not going north, but going south. <laughs> the opposite direction of which I hadn't intended. Now, I don't know about you, but going the opposite direction that you want to go on the freeway is a little disconcerting. See, there's a little clock going on there, and every minute I go south, I'm doubling the delay in getting to my intended destination. But I followed the orange sign, went south, got off at Hylia Gardens, and the detour signs disappeared. (laughs) Just disappeared. And I'm trying to get back on I 75 going north. I'm driving through Hialeah Gardens. I take the bridge over to Miami Lakes. This time it's already 6 a.m. And I confess, I am, you know, I'm banging on the steering wheel. And I'm thinking these thoughts Who's the imbecile who, who would do road construction work on a weekday commute morning? And who put up these lousy detour signs anyway? No one can follow them. Ah, Well, church, sometimes it's no imbecile. It's God. And it's God who closes the on-ramps of our lives, so to speak, and reroutes you and reroutes me. You know what? Sometimes that reroute is to an entirely different destination One that you would have never chosen for yourself. And he does it for the sake of his gospel and the sake of his glory. Today, this morning, we're going to take a look at one of the most, of history's most epic reroutes or or turning points, at least in the annals of Christian missions. It's a story of how the gospel first penetrated the continent of Europe. And because of this reroute, the gospel went to Europe, the gospel spreaded to much of Western civilization. In fact, from Europe, the gospel fanned out to all the globe. Just how this reroute took place is the topic at hand this morning in our text. Is this a unique story in redemptive history? Oh, absolutely, it is. Oh, but does this passage have application for us this morning? Oh, I believe it does. Why? Because God is sovereign over his mission to reach the world with the gospel. And he'll use detours. He'll use reroutes, even reroutes in your own life to accomplish his will as we follow him. So this morning's message is as simple as it is profound. And it's this. God leads us with no's as well as goes. God leads us. And this is my burden, church, for us this morning. To build your faith that God will lead you. He'll lead you individually. And he is and will lead us corporately as a church for the mission to which he has called us. For us as believers in the risen and exalted Jesus Christ, or in shortened form, point one, there on the screen. God will lead us in the mission. What is this mission? It's the story of Acts that we've been going over for many, many months now. It's the ongoing mission of the risen and exalted Christ to make followers of himself in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to all the ends of the earth. You see, this journey being described here in Acts 16 is often referred to as Paul's second missionary journey. But please make no mistake about it. It is Christ's spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who is clearly leading the way. And it is he who is routing, or should I say, rerouting traffic for his purposes and end. Thus we read in verse 6 the Holy Spirit forbid them to speak the word in Asia. Verse 7 the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go to Bithynia. Verse 9 Paul received a vision from the Lord directing them to Macedonia. The risen Christ is fiercely committed to his mission, the gospel mission and he is sovereign over it. So I do want you to hear this. This sermon isn't primarily about just personal decision-making or guidance. It's about Christ's mission, which is our commission, which is to make disciples of all nations. But there's something else implied in this first point. This first point, God will lead us. What is it? It's that we... Need leading, okay? We need guidance. Oh, yes, we do. And Christ is committed to guiding us, even when His directions often confound us. So, whether or not you are a church planter or a missionary this morning, most of us are not. We, as the people of God, oh, are desperate for God's leading, for God's guiding and leadership as we carry out his mission. And if you're here this morning, you are not a believer in Christ Jesus. Oh, you too need guidance. In fact, you are utterly lost. And you don't even know it. You're lost in your sin. And my plea and my prayer this morning is that you would turn from, repent from your sin and follow Christ and that you would be guided by Him the rest of your life. Where does this guidance come from? This guidance comes primarily from God's Word, what we often sometimes call His revealed will, His moral will that we find right here in Scripture. Guidance comes from His Word as we read it and as we faithfully, wisely apply it. In his word, he tells us, he tells us, redeemed sinners, how we should live and how we should relate to God. Our decision-making is to be grounded in God's revealed will and our wise application of it. But that is not the sum total of God's guidance And that's where today's sermon and text comes in. God's word and wise discernment. Oh, it informs us. It informs what we do. It directs us. It often safeguards us as well. But in and of itself does not necessarily deliver us to our final destination. You see, Paul and his team's gospel commission and calling got them on mission. It got them on to this second missionary journey, but it didn't get them to Macedonia unaided. That came through the Spirit. It came through God's providential leading. As you know, God often uses circumstances, and He even uses His Spirit to prompt us and help direct us as we step out, as we obey Him. And such steering is done by what is sometimes referred to as the hand of providence. And that hand, so to speak, belongs to God. And sometimes that hand is holding up a big red octagon. Stop. Sometimes that hand is holding up a bright orange sign. Detour. But it is God. God. Rest assured, and don't forget, God's sovereignty in the mission is our security as we follow him into that mission. Through the no's as well as the goes. Let's take a look first at the no's as we follow the narrative along. Point number two on the screen, through the no's. I'll read once again verse And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. I got a lot of questions here when I read that verse. But one of them is this. Why were Paul and Silas thinking or planning to go to Asia in the first place? Phrygia and Galatia, I understand. If you recall from the previous sermons, that the intent of Paul and Silas was to visit or to extend pastoral care to the churches they had already planted several years back on the first missionary journey in Galatia and Phrygia. But none of those churches were in the province of Asia. If we could put the map up there, I want to show you a little bit of geography this morning. What I really want to do as well is use this really cool laser pointer, Okay. <laughs> It's kind of old school now, but it's kind of new school for Palm Vista. So when Al was using it last week, I thought, man, that's cool. i, I got to do that. So I, I confess. So what's happening? Well, on the second missionary journey here, Paul and Silas leave from Antioch, right over here, Antioch of Syria, and they go to Derby, They go to Lystra. And there at Lystra. They pick up young Timothy. So now it's Paul, Silas, and Timothy. But somewhere along this route here, they must have had the idea or thought. Hey, let's go on to Asia. See, they were on the road called the Via Sebaste. Now, this road is like the Roman equivalent of the Florida Turnpike. Or maybe, maybe better said, it's like I-10, going east-west, starting in Jacksonville, going all the way across to L.A., to California. It wasn't that long, but they were on this Via Sebaste road. And at some point, they said, hey, let's just keep going. We're on it. Let's keep going Let's keep going to Asia Now when you see Asia, don't be thinking This is the continent of Asia Don't think India, China and such Okay, Right here is referring to a province, province, excuse me, province In western Turkey Now I don't think this was a haphazard decision either I would suspect that Paul and his gang Had prayed about this decision To keep on going to Asia They had given it much thought and prayer as well In fact, it would have be consistent with Paul's desire to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named. Romans 15, 20. But why Asia? Well, in one sense, not too difficult to discern. It was on the path they were already on. And that path led on the Via Sebaste all the way to Ephesus in the West. Let's think about this for a little longer. Have you ever been on a path Have you ever been headed in a certain direction in life and started looking down the road a ways, assuming that path's destination was your destination as well? After all, God had placed you on that path, or at least he allowed you to be on it. So uh, some assumptions were made. Some decisions were made. You thought that path? was leading to marriage. You thought that path was leading you to take that job or to move to that location or to minister to those people. This may have been something like what happened to Paul and Barnabas and Timothy. They had assumed God was leading them down the road to Asia and eventually to Ephesus. Ephesus. But I think there was more to it than that. This province of Asia was a wealthy, highly civilized region of Greek speaking cities where there would have been a Jewish community as well, a Jewish synagogue. In other words, according to the Apostle Paul's MO go first to the Jews, then go to the Gentiles, traveling to Asia, at least in his mind, in their mind, it made sense. It was logical, it was strategic. This path would have led him to Colossae, to Laodicea, and eventually, as mentioned, all the way to Ephesus, the capital of Asia Minor, a very influential port city with wide-reaching influence. So with all that said, I would suspect that if Paul had been asked the question back in Lystra as they were on this road, Hey, Paul, where are you going to next? I don't know, but I suggest he may have said, I believe the Lord is leading us to Asia. But Paul was wrong. God might have been leading them to the gates of Asia, but he wasn't going to let them enter. We read again these stark words in verse 6, the second portion there. Having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia, Oh, this tantalizing little phrase just begs for explanation, doesn't it? For- forbidden by the Holy Spirit? Well, what exactly happened? How were they forbidden? We're simply not told, are-, are we? Perhaps they were forbidden by an internal impression of the Spirit? Maybe even a prophetic word. Maybe Paul had received it? Maybe Silas had received that prophetic word. After all, Silas was gifted as a prophet, as we read in the previous chapter, chapter 15 of Acts. Or maybe it was some external opposition. Somehow, I don't know how, they were barred or banned from physically entering this province of Asia. And they interpreted that as the guidance of the Holy Spirit. But this much is clear. They were forbidden and not allowed to enter Asia. And this much is clear as well. It was the Lord's, the Holy Spirit's doing. And this emphatic no came with no explanation, at least none that's provided for us by the author, Luke, and thus God. So point number one, he leads us through the no's, and no doesn't necessarily come with an explanation no it doesn't what's apparent is that Paul Barnabas and Timothy excuse me Paul, Silas and Timothy or at least we the readers are not given any explanation nor does God seem obliged to give one God shut the door in Asia plain and simple that's often hard for us isn't it it's hard for me at least you know we think we're doing God's will right We think we're following his plan And then God closes a door An opportunity A way forward That in our minds Seems like this is a way In which we can glorify him And further his cause It's a way in which God might provide for us In the process And God Just slams the door And he doesn't tell us why You don't get that job It was all there It was the perfect match. You were qualified, and that job position met all your expectations and requirements. In fact, it may have even exceeded them. And all you get in the mail is a letter telling you you did not receive the job. And there's no P.S. from God scribbled on the bottom to tell you why. Nothing. Perhaps you have this great ministry opportunity. And you would say, God has providentially opened so many doors. Everyone around you is telling you, this is a great fit. God is totally in this. All you have to do is leave your current job or move here or there. And you have no peace. I mean, it's logical. It makes sense and it wouldn't be morally wrong to do it. Not at all. It lines up with your godly ambitions and dreams. Yet the Holy Spirit seems to be saying no. And you can't understand why. As much as you can discern it, it's not that you fear this new position or ministry in life. You you don't necessarily even believe it's from the enemy. It's just, it's God. It's God somehow closing the door of your heart. And you don't know why. At times like that, we can become immobilized, can't we? Perhaps at a disillusionment, out of self-pity, or just uncertainty of what to do next. But you notice this doesn't necessarily stop. Paul nor his team, they put their hand to the plow, so to speak, and they keep moving forward. Why? So point number two. Because no doesn't necessarily mean stop. It does not necessarily mean stop. Let's put the map back up there again, all right? So here come the disciples, right? They're traveling here. They make it to Lystra. Had been forbidden to go to Asia, they move on to Iconium and Pisidian Antioch. Okay, that makes sense. They had been to these churches before, right? On the first missionary journey. But they don't keep retracing their steps. If they were, they would have gone down here to Perga and maybe eventually back over to Cyprus where Barnabas and Mark had gone. Or they could have said, well, you stopped us, you forbid us, Lord. We're packing up our bags and we're going home to Antioch. But no, they don't. They keep moving. Because there's something still in their heart. They feel like God must have put it in their heart to plant churches in cities where they've not yet been. So where do they go? They decide to go northward. Northward to Mycenae. And that they do. They don't stop and they don't reverse course. The only problem is they don't know exactly where they're going still. There's no reroute or detour signs they can see. Well, they had a long walk. To figure it all out Somewhere along this approximately 200 mile trek From here to Mycenae They had the opportunity To think To pray Lord where would we go next Where would you want us To go And at some point They figured ah Bithynia Bithynia And that too would have made total sense to go up here to Bithynia. Why? Well, for many reasons. Like Asia, it had some large Greek-speaking cities with a significant Jewish population and synagogue. In one sense, that would have been a logical choice as well. Just using my sanctified imagination, I can almost hear him say this. Okay, Lord, you said no to Asia, okay? Ah, I got it. Bithynia, yeah, cities of Nicaea. Ever heard of the Council of Nicaea? Yeah, prominent city. Ah, oh, Bithynia, city of Nicomedia, capital of the Roman government. Ah, Bithynia, gateway to the Aegean and to the Black Sea. Lord, I got it. I'm tracking with you now. Brilliant. Bithynia, it is. But then we read verse 7, don't we? And when they had come to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Here comes the potentially devastating no. Number two, they were forbidden to go into Bithynia. Door closed, no explanation given. But notice how the Spirit is described in this verse. Verse 7 the Holy Spirit is described as the Spirit of Jesus. He did not allow them. It's as if God, through the author Luke, wanted to make it abundantly clear that the risen and exalted Jesus was still in complete control. It is He who was directing the progress of the gospel through His Spirit. Once again, we don't know why or how the Spirit Forbid them to enter. We just know it was his will. And once again, God was leading them through a no. God was changing their plans. God was rerouting their plans. Plans that most likely had been birthed over days of walking, over weeks of months of thinking and praying. And God says, No, not there. It's hard to hear no, isn't it? It's hard to hear it once, let alone twice. Especially when we feel like our motives are right. They're God-honoring. They're glorifying. Yes, our motives can be tainted. They are tainted. But overall, I say, I want to do this for you, Lord. I believe it's good and it's right. Sometimes we just need to hear it again. Jesus is in control. His ways our best. That's why the famous missionary explorer, David Livingston, ended up in Africa when he was trying to go to China. That's why the well-known missionary, William Carey, ended up in India, although he was trying to go to Polynesia in the South Pacific. That's why Paul, Silas, and Timothy ended up in Europe when they were trying to go to Asia. That's why I, not to be compared with those men, anyway, (laughs) please don't hear that, small little me, ended up in Miami when I was trying to go to the Middle East, the very region that we're speaking of this morning. If you would have asked me 15 years ago where I thought I'd be today, I probably would have told you, the country of Turkey. We had plans to do church planning there. We had contacts. We had dear friends who were already doing that in Turkey. We had a financial, a very solid financial support team as missionaries already in place. Furthermore, I was just finishing up my master's degree and doing my thesis on urban church planting in Turkey. Yet, it seemed as as if God kept blocking the way there at every step. And then I met a guy named Al Pino down in Miami. And he was saying, come! Come help us here in Miami. I had a pastor back in Orlando named Danny Jones who was saying, go! Go to Miami! So Cindy and I We thought hard about it. We prayed and we concluded God was leading us to Miami and we've been here for the last 11 years. Church, this was no plan B for our lives. It was God's will. Sometimes when we hear a no to our dreams, we can feel like we've done something wrong or we can feel like we're being somehow unfairly, punished. There's no indication in this text today that that was the case. That Paul and his companions were sometimes, somehow, being punished or banned from the mission. They were being rerouted in the providence and the sovereignty of God. And just because you may have received a no to your God-sized dreams once, twice, three times or more, doesn't mean you've been relegated to the sidelines of God's mission. No. Perhaps there are some moms here today, on Mother's Day, who studied long and hard for a career that was to be your mission field. Or perhaps you even had still have a dream to serve on the foreign mission field. And then you got married, and then you had children. Yet, when you're honest, those desires are still there in your heart. But providentially, all you hear is no. Your dreams and plans have been redirected. And God has said no to your Asia to your Bithynia. Your mission, your disciples, have become your children. May I say this morning, with all the unction of the Holy Spirit, that this is you, your life has not been wasted, and your labor is not in vain. God cares for the mission even more than you do, even more than I do, because it's his mission. And just not only that, he cares for you as well, personally. And God will never waste a dream that comes from him. Oh, he may, he may redirect it. He may reroute it. He may reinterpret it. He may even delay it but he won't waste it. Perhaps there are others of you here who've always dreamed of being a mom, of raising children, of making little disciples. And you aren't doing so now, at least in the way that you had imagined. The doctor, the pregnancy test, the lack of ring, wedding ring, on your finger, all screams No. And you thought that's where God was leading. It's what's been on your heart, even for years. Oh, church, please hear this again. God never wastes a dream that is from him. He may redirect it. He may reroute it. He may reinterpret it. He may just delay it. A no doesn't necessarily mean stop. does not mean stop believing, stop going, stop serving and living in some type of analysis paralysis. Well, this wasn't the case for Paul, was it, nor his team. Having been forbidden to go to Bithynia, there was only one direction they could go without going home, without calling it quits. And that was westward, all the way to the coast. And so they went. So we read in verse 8. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. Let's look at the map here once again They went to the city of Troas Only place they could go without turning around Here they are God says no We're going here We're going on the road to Troas I can only imagine once they get to Troas Well, there's no farther you could go At least by land They probably thought Okay, well I guess we've arrived at our final destination And once again it was an influential commercial city To them it probably once again made sense Well, Lord, I guess it's where you have us No, not yet. God had yet something else in mind. God had other plans for Paul. It was the continent of Europe, as we see in verses 9 and 10. But before we go there, I want to make one more important sub-point here, and it's this. No doesn't necessarily mean never. No doesn't necessarily mean never. Never. In the case of Asia, where they were forbidden to go to Asia, understand, God wasn't saying never. He was just saying, not yet. Later on, in the return portion, where do they go? They go to Ephesus. We see it right here, on the return portion. What was God saying? My timing is not yet for Asia and for Ephesus on the third missionary journey. Oh, Paul went to Ephesus, spent two years there. They traveled that via Sebaste all the way to Ephesus. And he planted there. And his young cohort, Timothy, he also ministered in Ephesus. In fact, he ministered in many of the cities in this province of Asia. A number of those cities that are listed in the book of Revelation. The seven churches there in Revelation. But it was not yet time No doesn't always mean never. Sometimes just wait. And so it was for Asia. But how about Bithynia? God had also said no to Bithynia as well. Just may have meant that God had another person for the job and it wasn't Paul. It was Peter. Could it be that Paul was kept from going to Bithynia to make way for Peter? Peter? We don't know, but what is clear is that it's Peter, not Paul, who later wrote to the believers or church in Bithynia. He wrote to them in his very first epistle, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Perhaps you have dreams and you have ambitions, and God has said no. But that no is simply not yet. Maybe you sense God is calling you to minister the word to a certain group of people or give towards that end. And God has simply shut the door and kept it shut for now. Perhaps your ministry aspirations are from God, but what you long to see will not happen in your lifetime. You know here at Palm Vista we have dreams we have desires to reach many more people with the gospel, to reach even more ethnicities that are represented here in South Florida, to plant more churches here in South Florida and even beyond. And may I add, to have a permanent facility, a church building in which to do so as well. Maybe we will see all this in our lifetime. Oh, I want to see it. I'm praying for it. Or maybe it will be our children. Maybe the multiplication of gospel-centered churches in South Florida will occur while we're living. But they'll be planted not by our church, not by Paul, but by Peter, the other guy. In other words, Maybe it won't be a Sovereign Grace church plant. Maybe it won't have a Palm Vista branding on it. But it's God, and it's God fulfilling His will and the very desires He placed on our hearts for His mission, for His gospel, and His sovereign purposes. Can we rejoice all the same? God does not waste the dreams and ambitions he gives us. God's no doesn't necessarily mean never. God will accomplish his mission. And while his purposes may remain hidden for a season, maybe even a lifetime, there was a time when God's no's become a go. And so it was with Paul and his companions, and that leads to the final point, he leads us not only through the nose, but also through the goes. Verse nine. And a vision appeared to Paul the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, "Come over to Macedonia and help us." We look at the map once again. There was a man in Macedonia. Here's Macedonia way up here. It's kind of cut off here on our slide. Here's modern-day Europe, the continent. There's a man standing there. Maybe he was in Philippi, where they go to next, calling out and saying, come, come, come to Macedonia. I don't know who the man in the vision was. There's a lot of speculation. But I do know the man to take them there was the Apostle Paul by God's sovereign I don't know much about visions either But I do know, especially in the book of Acts That God uses visions Especially during key, pivotal times in redemptive history To lead His people on His mission We've seen it several times already, haven't we, in the book of Acts God gave Peter several visions, right? A vision to take the gospel to Cornelius A Gentile Remember the vision? The sheep coming down, the unclean food Kill and eat? In other words, go, bring them the gospel. Gentiles, Lord? Yes, unclean Gentiles, for I call them clean. And he went. God, once again, is using a vision to say, Paul, I want you not to go to Asia. I want you now to go to Europe, to Macedonia. Make no mistake about it. This was not part of Paul's elaborate strategy or meticulously devised game plan. As one commentator writes, That invasion of Europe was not in the mind of Paul, but it was evidently in the mind of the Spirit. It wasn't logic. It wasn't reason alone that got Paul to Europe. His Savior called him. His church in Antioch of Syria commissioned him. The gospel compelled him. But the Lord directed him to Macedonia to Europe. After two no's, Paul and his companions finally get their go. Let's look at the final verse, verse 10. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Notice that the vision Paul received wasn't Heeded thoughtlessly, nor without the help of others. This was no personal vision that trumped all counsel or reason. This was a corporate decision. See the we there? The we is most likely referring to Paul and Silas and Timothy. And also the author Luke. Who it looks as if joined them here in Troas. This word here in verse 10 translated. Concluding comes from the Greek word, meaning to join together or to knit together. What were Paul and his companions synthesizing or knitting together? Most likely all that had happened to them to get them to this point on the missionary journey. They had sensed that God was calling them to preach the gospel, even into new cities and territories. They know that God had forbidden them to go to Asia. They know God had forbidden them to go to Bithynia, and well, there wasn't a whole lot of other places to go. So, by deduction or by process of elimination, they end up in Troas, a port city with direct transportation to Macedonia and to Greece. And upon receiving the vision, they concluded that the help that this Macedonian man was wanting, it was and needed, was the gospel and God. Through this vision, was calling them to Macedonia. Church, I find that immensely encouraging. So many times in my life, God has used his objective word in conjunction with the Spirit. In my case, sometimes strong, subjective, I admit, impressions, but strong, sometimes even prophetic words to confirm a direction in my life, a field of study I was to undertake, a vocational choice a mission trip, even the decision to adopt. Just like Paul and the team, I don't believe we're to wait around for such visions or impressions or even to seek them. But we are called to go forth and to obey God's word in the mission. And as we do so, as we follow the desires that God has put on us, hearts, our hearts, He will lead us, sometimes through no's, sometimes by go. There may be some of you here right now, and you've received that go. The door's been opened, the light has turned green, and you haven't moved Listen to how Paul and his companions responded once they concluded that God was calling them to go. We read these words immediately. Immediately we sought to go into Macedonia. Once they had decided in in consultation with one another that God was calling them to go, they obeyed immediately. They hopped on the boat. For some of you this morning, God may be saying, What are you waiting for? My child, hop on. Hop on. Let's go. Doesn't necessarily mean that God is telling you to go somewhere different or to leave. It may mean that He is calling you now on to His mission agenda right where you're at. It may simply mean doing what you believe God has personally directed you to do or led you to do providentially. To talk to that person. To initiate that ministry. To take that job. To move to that neighborhood. To begin those studies. I don't know what it is. I don't. But God does. And he is committed to his mission. He is committed to leading us in the mission as a church corporately and also individually as believers as well, as members of that church. I love the verse, the proverb. Proverbs 16, 9. It says this. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Paul and his companions, oh, they planned their ways. But the Lord established their steps and the gospel came to Europe. You could say the gospel was reached by two no's and a go. Sometimes a reroute is the best route of all. Let's pray. Dear Lord, every time I open your word, at times like this especially, I'm so grateful for your word. Thank you that your word instructs us. Thank you that your word teaches us. That your word oftentimes corrects us. And thank you, Holy Spirit, that you illumine the word in ways that we can understand. And am asking this morning that you would make the connections that I cannot make. Holy Spirit, apply your word to our very situations this morning, the very doubts, the very questions in which we face. And Lord, I ask more than anything else that you would impart faith now, faith for your leading, faith that you are guiding, faith that you are sovereign. Lord, we confess, we often are confounded. We often don't understand with our finite minds because we are not God, but you are. So Lord, we're asking this morning that you would have your way in us. We're asking, oh Lord, that you would reign in us now as we stand and as we sing. Amen. Let's rise and let us sing.